Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan, and I will be your host. Today's interview takes us to the hip neighborhood of Vietikon in Zurich. The office building is a real startup hub. Three well-known companies are located there. Testing time, no time, and Avrios. We meet Reto Lamler in the beautiful and stylishly furnished office of Testing Time. He is the co-founder and CEO of this startup, which helps companies find test users for focus groups, usability tests, or surveys. In this context, Reto has been intensively involved in pricing and the strategies around it. This is exactly the topic we now want to discuss with him, everything related to SaaS pricing. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Reto, a very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Today, we're going to talk about pricing. So why is it actually important that a startup has a pricing strategy? Well, the simple answer is to make money, to have a business which is profitable. I guess that's like the the core, the root of why you actually even have a startup, right? Yes, exactly. So what are the different pricing strategies that a startup can actually choose from? Honestly, I haven't really thought about it until I read this um, document I got from um, from a chief sales officer candidate um, who said you should read this is about pricing strategy and there <laughs> the first time I realized and um, there are different approaches to define strategy one is sort of a cost plus pricing strategy um, so whatever it costs to produce or to deliver a service mm-hmm. then you add something on top to earn basically some money or have the margin. The other thing is a competitor um, based um, pricing. Right. So you look what others charge and you kind of um, go um, above because you add something more or below just to compete um, that pricing. And the ideal one is a value based pricing strategy. What, what is that exactly? The value based strategy? The value based strategy um, is basically when a potential customer um, looks at your pricing, um, feels like, okay, I pay because I pay that much because it, it's worth it's it, it's worth it to me. Mm-hmm. For example, in 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 our case, um, I just had a discussion with one of the sales guys. It's like um, we have we have to deliver sixty people. Um, with either an Italian, French, and and 
some other passport mm -hmm. to train some AI about passport scanning. Nice. And then it's like, well, how, how cheap can you go? And it's like, look, our value is to screen this type of participants, make sure they reliably participate somewhere physically in Zurich um, in this test, you know? And so the value is finding these this participants, if you will think about, um, well, what does it cost us to find these people, you know, like measure time right. um, and see how, how much is your salary, you know, that wouldn't really get us. Our value we deliver is really finding these right people and deliver them um, reliably. You know? And we talked a bit before, and I think you also mentioned that on your LinkedIn post that most startups, especially also Swiss startups, they don't really think about that from a strategic perspective and then just end up in the competition-based or also cost-based pricing strategy, right? Yes, but I also don't want to really be a judge here. And I honestly also started to think about it um, since I discovered <laughs> that paper. Um, we have been in business for five years and all we did is we um, increased twice the price a little bit and we haven't put in more thoughts and we looked at the competitors and we did everything wrong. So I assume all the startups may have done just the same thing because um, you want to get started somehow and you don't want to read like 200 pages sure. about this thing and make a big science out of it. You just want to get into business and I think it's then once you mature you start to think about it it's also like every year I think about a revenue increase and what what everyone kind of forgets is um, by realigning your pricing strategy having a smart price increase this is also a way of um, actually growing you know it's not always about hunting new customers right. um, yeah so you can just actually increase your business or your revenue by finding a better way to 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 monetize your service i think there you, you touch at an incredibly important point so you have the acquisition right where you acquire new customers you have the retention where you want to earn more money with the existing customer base mm -hmm. but what we're talking about today with the pricing strategy is the monetization of your existing services so to really optimize that yeah. and yeah. i think that's a, an incredible yeah. important difference yeah. to understand yeah. and i'm also currently Working with a, we want some, IMD is a very famous business school in Lausanne mm -hmm. and they have a new class there that just started this year and then they have like this entrepreneur module and um, so we kind of got in there as one of the startup cases and now I got a team which is working exactly on one of these things like at the moment testing time is a transactional-based business, so whenever you order, you pay, and if you don't order anymore, you don't pay. But the thing is, how can you turn our service into a subscription model, which is like with proper um, annual recurring revenue, with a churn and everything. So this is also, in a way, um, the same thing we just do at the moment. How can we turn um, or offer our service in a subscription and maybe have more predictable revenue and at the end more revenue, you know. So. Maybe you can also walk us through the thought that you made, like why is it important that you can switch to a recurring revenue model instead of a one-time fee that you get on, yeah. on an order basis? Yeah, when 
I was always like irritated um, by investors saying, well, you don't have ARR and it's not recurring and so on. It's like, well, but look at our um, growth, right. nice growth. Now I kind of understand what they, what they meant um, because we have some stability and we do sell prepaid packages which bring in revenue prediction. Mm -hmm. But at the end, it's still like um, every month um, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, yeah, in general we grow, but with a zigzag, you know. And now I realize the more mature, the more I would appreciate like um, a lot of subscriptions with a predictable churn, you know, and then you just know what you're going to make every month and year, you know. So that's why it's really important we kind of figure out um, at least maybe part of our service to turn into subscription. Right. Where we started to do it now is our new product, Testing Type Private Pool. This is going to be released in April. We sold now four licenses and here it works perfect. So we never even considered to do a transactional based um, business model around it. We always said this is, if you want to have private pool, it's a subscription and customers buy it that way. So um, now with this, we hope to at least have 20% of our revenue subscription-based. Nice. And it does also like recurring revenue is also better for your company valuation, I could imagine. Yeah. yeah. And if you talk to like investors or M&A guys who do exits, they say, look, you get a higher multiple if you have a, a proper um, subscription model. So that's also an important aspect yeah. not to forget. Yeah. So let's take a bit deeper into how you actually determine a good pricing strategy. So how do you actually come up with the right price for your product? What was your take? You, you talked about a bit like, you know, the first guesses and the mm -hmm. two price increases, but how do you actually determine the right price for your product? Mm -hmm. I mean, so the honest answer, I don't know. We are in this process. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying I'm sort of the master of pricing strategy, not at not all. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. I'm working on it. Um, I can just share how we how we started. So um, since we are um, operating in different countries, um, we actually really started with um, competitor-based pricing. We looked at others, what they charge, and we went just a little bit cheaper because we are much more automated than the competitors. And... And then we took the Swiss pricing, which we knew worked well into Germany, which at the beginning we totally failed to say, are you crazy? We literally <laughs> exchanged the uh, Swiss franc to Euro thing. And then we had to build the system in a way that we can adjust the price per country. Yeah. And so people told you in Germany, that you are way too expensive. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you are Swiss. That's expensive, but we're not going to buy from you because right. you're... Um, way too expensive. So then we slowly went down until we didn't hear complaints anymore. Okay. There's like, there's like a point where we, where, where salespeople don't hear anymore, you're too expensive. So, but you have to come slowly down, you know? What was the approximate rate that you had to hit there? Because usually I think it's like the factor two, where you say if you charge like 10 euros, you can charge 20 Swiss francs, for example, and vice versa. No, it's about, um, 70%, um, it's not like half of what we okay. do in Switzerland. And, and in the UK, it's almost like Switzerland. Um, 
That's actually, they are price sensitive. The most price sensitive is the French market. It, it's always, this is like also our lowest pricing of all. Um, and so you have to really act um, um, and not just to the different um, regions, but always start high and then go down and, and, and wait until you don't hear complaints anymore. That's how we found our pricing. And then, um, Especially in Switzerland, initially we always included the, the VAT in the pricing and then one of the pricing increases was just, we said, look, from now on, VAT is not included anymore. Right. Well, it was a nice um, transition. Nobody complained because in the B2B world, you never add VAT sure. um, up front. You do this in the B2C world, but um, that's something you also had to learn. But in a way, with that, we got a... 8% price increase, um, but which was still fine. And now we don't really um, move around anymore. I think it's very competitor based or the, or, uh, the originity of, of, of where we come from, um, which works for us. But sometimes when we have bigger deals, sort of the, uh, the, uh, cost plus kicks in and I don't like that. You know, I feel always to say to the sales team, hey, you need to sell our value. Yeah. You know, always think like how else could they solve this problem? They probably can't without us. So this is a big value we offer. So think, and so they stopped and adding a lot of um, discounts on big projects, you know, because they realize oh, we, we offer actually a lot of value. Um, which is which is not reflected in our price calculator yet, but it's just more to defend um, of giving a lot of discounts. But for for us, the next big step is really that subscription, which will change everything. You know, this is a complete new approach because the good customer of ours they live user research, they do user tests, validation on a regular basis. This is never a one-off thing because you have to be constantly in the loop with your end users and incrementally improve your, your product. So they will be perfect for a subscription. But Absolutely. how do we get there? This is now really, as we speak, something we try to figure out. You're right in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. So before we talk about the buyer persona, because they seem to be also an important point of the whole pricing strategy, I would like to focus on the value. How can you actually measure the value and find out what value you actually deliver to the companies that buy from you? Because I can imagine that a startup just starting out, this is like not super easy to do. They just say, yeah, some people say this is the value that they get. Others say something completely different. Mm -hmm. So how do you determine this value that you actually deliver to your customers? Um, by talking to them and uh, a super, super difficult question, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a buyer at the moment of, 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 of another startup in Zurich and, and they're very young in finding the right pricing strategy. And in a way, I just told them I'm not willing to pay more than that. It's not worth it. Then I would rather stick to a spreadsheet solution and do it manually versus your service, you know? And so I giving them feedback and, and, and the thing is, um, just interview a lot of customers and, and figure out what is the problem you solve for them and do they have a lot of alternatives? If they don't, 
then um, your value goes up. Right. And that's, for example, why we decided um, we could always, or some of our competitors in the US, they just provide a platform, a tool where the customer has to log in and do all the work themselves, like setting up a recruitment, picking the, the candidate. So they just offer a um, tool and the work is still um, with their customers. Right. And we always believe what we do here with the customer success team is the service layer on top. We do all the candidate selection, the troubleshooting, the, the so much the things happen. This is a lot of value we add. Yeah. That's why we can justify a much higher pricing. And so, yeah, so th the answer is talk to your customers, figure out um, what 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 problem do we solve them? What are the alternatives? Mm -hmm. How much would they pay for an alternative? And if there are not many alternatives, then you can charge it pretty high. So, And then to really determine the right amount, did you then just like, as you did, like test it? Or did you also like very openly talk about numbers and ask them like, okay, what's the monetary value that you get out of this solution? And then yeah. find a good way to, to make it. Yeah, there are different approaches. Testing it is always the best the best approach because if you kind of ask them they would always go for cheaper you know right. it's like yeah <laughs> i want to have faster horses i want to have a cheaper price maybe there is like a point where they know okay this is too cheap that they could actually deliver a good yeah. service for it so the, um, um, of course they're also where that you can survey them with this scale what what is the amount you would pay and you would feel like this is too much this is too cheap and this is like borderline too much and then you know exactly um where the right price would be that's what we actually now do for this we run a survey or are going to run a survey for this subscription pricing mm -hmm. where we actually kind of try to find these three points where you believe it's too much where you believe it's too cheap and where you just think it's well it's expensive but all right i, I still uh, buy it yeah so <laughs> this is the sweet spot yeah so perfect before you also mentioned like the importance of the the right clients uh, or we can also call them buyer persona mm -hmm. in in what way do they also like have an influence on the on the pricing strategy that you choose because i can imagine different buyer persona that you want to address self service versus full service for example mm -hmm also needs different pricing, right? Yeah, true. Um, for us, it's even, for us, it's, it's, it's more important um, to go after those um, buyers or users at the end, um, which use us regularly and they understand the value of what we do. You know, those who do one-offs and it's like, oh, um, I just do this once. They don't understand the value, and so, um, and it's also in a, in a, you have to avoid to attract this kind of um, buyers. So, so if one walks in your door right now at the office, would you just say like, no, sorry, we don't serve you, or would you do their business but try to get them into more like a self service mode? If they want to bring you revenue but not recurring yeah, revenue, yeah, we we differentiate between we call this ICP ideal customer profile and non ICP. So non ICP is handled by an inbound sales manager, which gets no like um, account manager taking care of you and and 
this calls with you. It's more on um, handled in automated way, um, email assistance and this kind of things. And we don't go the extra mile and do everything possible to win your business. It's like, look, um, this this is the level of service you get. And with the ICPs, we really go the extra mile to make sure you are happy now and you stay happy. And so, we, yes. And sometimes if it's really out of um, our criteria, then we say, sorry, we don't serve your region. Sorry, we don't do this type of project. So because getting in the wrong customers is super expensive and blocks everything in operations and in sales and 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 at, at the end better say no than dealing with some difficult order and customer it's also a big question of where's your focus right yeah, yeah. how do you actually char characterize the different like buyer persona or customer profiles as you call them mm. like what do you look at the industry the company size geography what are the criteria that you like sort them i mean i can only speak for, 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 for our industry. So, um, we are, um, industry agnostic. We know, um, whenever a company, um, provides a B2C, um, business or runs a B2C business, they have to care about, they do care about user experience. There will be a user experience team. So we look, is there a user experience team or an innovation team? Um, if yes, then the, the topic matters, and then we go after the, uh, the the head of running that team, head of user experience, head of innovation, head of customer insights. There are different titles, and then we try to go into that. This is not the one who actually uses our service, but it's the the buyer and decider. You know, mm -hmm. the one who says yes to to the budget, and then you have to make, um, yeah, have to get the users at, to the table too. The, um, the, uh, how, how should I say, um, the fan boys and girls. Yeah. So, um, and that's, that's how we look at it. So we put a very strong focus on, um, all these criteria because, um, only if you're desperate, you go left and right and right. it never turns out well. Yeah. So is there any good resource that helped you to really, you know, have this focus and document that well or? Did you just basically build lots of that on your own? Um, a lot is, was try and error. And then once we scaled up the sales team, we wrote a playbook. We defined those criteria. And this always changes a little bit, um, you know, but this is more fine tuning. So that works well. And if an account manager doesn't perform well, then you can go and say, look, the playbook says this. And I see you talk to a lot of leads which don't fulfill this criteria. So probably stop talking and wasting your time on um, strangers and <laughs> focus again, you know. And, Absolutely. And, and this is how you align it. When you do that for the first time, and I can imagine, you know, you test out different buyer persona, you want to find out who's like the best fit for your company. How do you realize when you actually found the right fit, the right clients the right buyer persona how, how do you feel that is it just like way easier to close deals does it the sales process go faster or how do you actually realize that you are in this sweet spot and then also ready to scale yeah. the sales team um 
It's a good question. If you have a, a product market fit, so you have built a product which solves um, a problem of your target market or by your target persona, right. then it always goes smooth. <laughs> and I just experienced this with our new private pool product. Um, I had to sell it. We said, if I, if I sell three licenses, we're going to build it. Nice. And so I had to make up the story. And, and, and I went into discussion with Talandos and Nova, Post, Swisscom. And so when, when, when I negotiated a contract with Talando, it was very immature. So as we, with every meeting, the product <laughs> changed mm -hmm. and, 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 and suddenly, it was a no-brainer, you know? So literally with every meeting I had, the, uh, the scope of the product changed. And then I knew, okay, this is what they need and solves the problem. Then I checked with other potential buyers, does this also fit in there? And it does. And suddenly like every sales cycle went faster and faster. And so, you know, um, you basically just fit in. It makes sense to them, so they don't have to discuss and argue a lot. So that's that's. Um, so you'll probably feel it when you when you are there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It just you don't have a lot of discussions anymore. You so you have just to be very careful um, that you don't shape a product for this one customer. You have to always right. validate with all the others that this is generic enough to apply for others. It's very dangerous. And otherwise uh, you end up in the consulting business. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you, you make custom that. solutions and this is like That's not scalable. No. No. <laughs> and 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 yeah, I just went through this um whole um experience and um and that's what I experienced. And with Swisscom it was like boom. It's like and then you realized, okay, that's the sweet spot. We're yeah. going to go big yeah. into that. You know, this is the challenge they have. And this is how we're going to solve this. This is the pricing. Um, here's the, 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 the offer. And boom, makes sense. Yeah. When you were actually talking to these different potential clients, did you also change the pricing on the go? Or how did you go about that? Did you have a very clear like, price range for the recurring revenue that you wanted to get? Or how did that evolve? We're still in the very early stage. What, 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 what's the right price now? We, we said it has to be expensive enough that they commit to it. So that was one of the, uh, what's a good uh, threshold there to, to go so above? We, we said like, um, the premium version should go for 25,000 a year. So, and if they pay 25,000 a year, then they really want it. And, 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 and uh, in, in the enterprise world, that's um, that's not a big or expensive thing, but still they have to go through procurement and they have to be serious about it. And so that was one like um, criteria. Um, and then we again did sort of what would they pay if they would get the same service for our regular service, you know, not the private pool for our um, public pool service and then we kind of checked against that to make sure it's sort of in line or we can earn a bit more um, yeah so different approaches to look at it different checkpoints we also then at some point we switched from at the very beginning where I was struggling during negotiation with Zalando was it was very transactional thinking 
And then suddenly it's like, no, we have to have these services which add on value, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that was also like uh, a, a stepping stone towards like where, where, where I knew it, it, it works now. Again, this value thinking, what is value we can add into this um, license, you know, and not how many test users they can get. Suddenly we said, look, it's unlimited test users. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to commit to it, you know, you need to use this, otherwise it makes no sense. And so how did you get away from this transactional thinking from the client to then also commit, like get the commitment from them? You just said like everything is included and you added more value through additional services? Yeah, or? because I got frustrated. They kept on comparing our standard core service. You can go online calculator. So every time they compared with that, and it's like, well, you cannot compare apple and oranges and, sure. and in a way, they can, you know, because it's our public pricing. And it's like, how do I get them away from that thinking, you know? And so then I had to do a bold move and said, you know what? You can recruit as many participants as you want. It's unlimited, um, all inclusive. But with this plan, you don't get the, the payout service. Um, with this plan, you don't get advanced screening, you know, all these things I knew are important to them. So I, I just repackage it, you know, and bundled it in different licenses, you know, and then it suddenly worked, you know. It's also the next question is basically how many different packages or bundles and pricings should you offer? How did you go about that? Well, there are a million studies about it. Some say, some say um, four. And then one of the middle ones is the, the favorite plan, so the, the classic ones. And I'm not really an expert on this, but I think if you just go before, but I think what's important is, and what I also learned from the paper, there should be always the big plan should be without a price. This is the enterprise version because big enterprises, they don't really care whether it's 20,000 or 50,000 for them. It's like their worries are data privacy. Their worries are the procurement um, effort, you know, all these things, you know, um, they have way different worries than whether it costs now um, 20 or 25,000, you know, so. Um, so for them, it doesn't really matter. They will buy anyway. Yeah, because they have different cost problems than this couple of thousand more or less you know they yeah this is so, such a big effort to get a new tool approved and rolled out so um really the pricing is the least of their worries so don't don't close doors by by publicly announce a price because the procurement guy will go and see the price and hold it against you so then you rather say look talk to us and then you figure out um, where you can place it. Um, yeah. Also, what you see in many startups that have these online pricings, um, they also have like, from my perspective, it seems that they have like one plan per buyer persona. So they have one like for small businesses mm -hmm. that is like pretty cheap or even for freelancers and independents. Yeah. Then there's like a middle plan for yeah. like more established businesses, yeah. but not the big corporates. Yeah. And then there's an enterprise yeah. uh, pricing where you yeah. most often have to contact yeah. them. Yeah. Is that something that you think would make sense that you just offer like one pricing plan per customer or per buyer persona that you want to address? It really depends if you if your product is suitable for all these different um, 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 
yeah, that makes um, sense. Sizes of companies, then I think that's that's a good a, a good approach to go after. But again, don't put a price for the enterprise um, plan and really talk to them. Maybe you can add on much more value and charge more for it. You know, um, you just don't know because right. it's such a huge purchasing process. You know, um, so. Is there any hack or any question that you do in your sales process to really check whether you can sell anything on top? Like you said, like data privacy is important to them, but is there like any question that you ask or anything in the sales process that you do in order to really maximize the revenue there? At the moment, we are still like trying to, for private pool, we're still trying to, 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 to prove the market. So we need to sell now 10 of those licenses. But where I... What I keep on hearing with enterprises where you can really add value is besides data privacy, this legal aspects. Can you support me in signing NDAs with the test users and these kind of things? So enterprises are really, really um, worried about these things. I mean, I understand. Um, we, I think it would be even worth at some point to invest into ISO certifications. So we have ISO blah, blah, blah to to be um, um, security, we fulfill security standards or for whatever, you know, there are a lot of these certificates. Right. So you can just say, look, we are approved. Don't worry, you know. And um, I think this kind of thing, which has nothing to do with your core product, you just want to check off as many of these things around it. So you just you just then go much smoother through the purchasing process. It's more like a signaling, right? Yeah. You yeah. want to send the right signal that you're a professional, that yeah. you're you mature. Can, exactly. Then you can also speed up the process yeah. and win yeah. more trust, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So all these things around it are equally important as your core. Yeah. Yeah. Also coming back to these bundles, to the packages that you offer, what should be included there? Like, you know, some companies, they charge additionally for like maintenance or whatsoever. Should you have everything included in your recurring uh, monthly or annual recurring revenue? Or should you also have some things that you offer on top that might be one-off fees or ad like additional recurring revenue? So what I believe is a good thing um, to charge a setup fee. Mm -hmm. Again, this is to check the commitment and this is something you can, um, if they want to negotiate you down in the license fee, you can say, okay, I'm going to give you... Um, Smart. Um, yeah, this is the one-off. You can remove one-offs. Yeah. You don't want to reduce the, exactly, the recurring fees. Exactly, that's yeah. recurring. And, you know, right. and once, it's like a salary for an employee, you know. Um, <laughs> this is recurring, you know. And, 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 and the one-offs, is, is easy to say, okay, I no setup fee. Um, but still, it's not just for that. It's also for 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 um, the commitment. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot of it, a lot of time it has to do to the commit because again, um, we also want to commit that they really use it, and then a setup fee suddenly is justified because you want to sit down with the customer, set up in the best possible way, make sure it's really meaningful and that costs some time and money. That's why I, I believe um, I like to keep this in there. How high should the setup fee be? Should that be like a fixed percentage or just a fixed fee? I always, I always like between three to 6,000, something like this, yeah. yeah. Um, has some symbolic character, but... Um, 
um, I, I, I just recommend to have it. And the other thing is, um, that's what we also discovered um, with, with like Sonova, like have an expansion possibility. So suddenly we realize, oh, they want to have not just a Swiss private pool, they want to have it in all these different countries. So how are we going to scale this? We cannot sell them again a, a full-fledged thing. They would say, are you crazy? But then suddenly you say, oh, we could add this multi-pool option. And so you can say, okay, how many counts do you want to enable? And so you have these infinite scaling possibilities. Um, if you are a CRM, you may say, okay, up to 10,000 contacts, it's, you're in this um, bucket. Right. And then we do this with multi-pool things. So have sort of a um, scalability in your plan, you know. But these are like add-ons that they can buy yeah. or not buy, right? Yeah. That's not like the differentiation between the different packages directly. Yeah, in the different packages, um, no, this multi-pool thing can be added in every plan. It's like a, 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 to make it sort of within the plan scalable. The, the different plans, what we chose now for private pool is to have um, the level of services we add in there, you know, like the smallest plan um, doesn't have advanced screening, so you can only... We only screen by age and gender and these standard things, but we we're not going to write advanced screening questions to select very specific criteria. And then the higher up you go, then the service is added. Then, um, yeah, so this kind of thing. So closely linked to the add-ons and also the setup fees are discounts. You mentioned them before that you try to you know get away from discounts and really have this value approach. Mm -hmm. So. Should you offer any discounts at all? Yes or no? Um, we do. If we, um, if you want to have you try it out, so it's like, okay, I just want you to experience us and it's not about the money here. Um, just make sure you can regularly charge afterwards, you know, um, because once we, we once did a, a promotion in 2000. 18, where we said if you if you get a prepay now just before Christmas we give you 20 percent you know okay. and then we had a hard time to get rid of that again because every year they said well I want to have this 20 percent again oh. you know and it's like yeah. just don't do this it's very dangerous this promotion tied to a, a, a time spam you know the, now it's Christmas again last Christmas you gave me this so that was one learning give it just to to try it otherwise try to add more value try to look what can we do more for you that 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 you still pay the same price um, that's uh, the right question to ask yeah, yeah absolutely because it's just like hell you know you don't get out of it anymore you know and and sometimes this is now a new experiment like one US competitor sneaks into Europe, so we don't want them to win customers. So there I would be willing to go into price war just to squeeze them out, you know. Um, so, but price war is a, is a tough battle to win, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it costs you something, but you don't want them to see you want you want. You want them to hear about you and they get pissed at you. It's like, shit, why is always testing time winning, you know? And then you're on their radar and then 
maybe they want to buy you who knows exactly then we are on the radars like let's talk <laughs> you know yeah. but that that that's price war to, to just defend territory maybe there you can do it yeah, yeah. but generally be careful with discounts mm -hmm. And for the trials, you know, some companies, they offer like f free trials. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it heavily depends on the, on the product or service that you're offering. Totally fine. I think whenever it comes to try, we have fixed costs with every delivery because we right. pay test users. So it's dangerous to give it totally for free. Yeah. We wouldn't have costs with everything. But if you have a, a SaaS solution, whether you add one more user, it doesn't really hurt you a lot. So... Um, yeah, do anything it takes to have your customers try it out and blow their minds. And then once they're convinced with the value you deliver, they will pay the fair price, you know. So. Linked to that, like value delivery is also something called value metric, how you actually measure the value that you're delivering to your customers. Do you have any such thing as a value yeah. metric? What is it? We do every de every delivery, just like Uber Eats or Uber, we ask for a rating. Um, we ask for every test user, how well did this person fit for um, the order as such. And then we run an MPS. Um, Net Promoter Score yeah. is like, that's yeah. one of the best things to do. We do this on both sets, test user and customers. What do you aim for there? Like, what's the, the good NPS score that you're aiming for? Um, we are on the customer side at 70, which is super high, nice. super That's good. Very good. Um, wow. but it correlates with the load we have. So like last November, December, we had like big, big load. And then the delivery team was overwhelmed and you can see how it slowly goes down. If we have regular load, we are really great because we care a lot and we're going to invest even more now into the delivery team to be able to handle even more load. Um, and on the test user side, we are much poorer. We are at like 30. But it's still um, not like, not bad. Yeah, but there's more frustration because a lot of test users don't get into studies. Okay. We turn them down because we have too many test users. And so there we tried to fix it with um, more targeted invite mechanisms, um, prediction of could you possibly be the right person um, so we don't have to invite everyone to figure out whether you fit? And... So you can avoid the frustration of people, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where it comes from. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think like net promoter score is a very good yeah. like value metric to follow yeah. on both sides. Yeah. Also, you are now changing uh, your pricing strategy, as we heard in the beginning, mm -hmm. to a more recurring revenue style. How often should you actually you know, step back and think about your pricing strategy and also review and probably also adapt it? Mm -hmm. How often should you do that? I think you should do it twice a year, but so you do it at least once per year. <laughs> <laughs> so, Welcome to the startup life. <laughs> yes. And I just think don't underestimate the power of changing your pricing strategy or even just the, the pricing, you know, right. of your existing strategy. How much you can um, gain from that, you know. And who should be involved in that, you know, review and pricing adaption of the team? Um, I mean, sales, which is frontline product. Um, I would include customer success, delivery, finance, because 
they should also bring in cost. They are aware of cost of acquisition, um, cost of goods and service, cost of delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, all these things are important too. You know. So you can basically form your own uh, pricing committee. Just have enough stakeholders in there, which bring in different viewpoints, you know. Makes sense. And maybe even a customer, you know. <clears throat> yeah. So we would then we would then run again user tests on a new pricing um, plan um, and see what the reaction is. But also don't take it always as, as, as the truth because um, pricing increase always triggers a panic reaction, you know. So um, there will be a bit of complaints and then it will be all fine, you know. Um, How do you actually handle that? Because as you said, when you increase prices, you did that twice, once in a very elegant way of just like yeah. removing the taxes. Yeah. How, how do you actually manage that in a good way that you don't like make your customers angry? Is it just a, a matter of time or? Yeah, but you... Uh, w- we believe you should be proactive. You just send an email to everyone. Mm-hmm. You explain why. Um, it's all about a good and um, authentic story. Um, because um, it costs something to deliver this thing, and customers should also be aware of that. Um, but again, you shouldn't argue with like, um, yeah, it's, it's very difficult how you how you frame your story, but you have to have a good story. And, and uh, what would you like a, a good argument or a good point to make why you have to increase your pricing? Yeah, towards cost, maybe you can bring the cost plus um, story more because that resonates more. But um, you can also use the value we added this additional thing. So I would argue, hey, we have improved our quality check algorithms. Um, we don't charge you anything. You, I mean, what you didn't like, you don't pay. You know, this all costs something, you know. Um, we may add NDA signing services, you know. This is all additional value. And so this is how you justify a pricing increase. Yeah. Yeah. And when you actually increase the pricing, you know, some companies say, they only increase it for new customers and leave their old customers or existing customers of the old pricing. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Tricky. Why? I wouldn't do that, no. Because people change companies and then they get pissed at you. Why do you only pay this? And um, I would, if you say, look, in the enterprise segment in general, we we, we do this, you know, um, have this pricing thing and then for small companies that then you're still consistent within these different segments and you can... You can you you can explain it, but just to play it depending on sympathy and oh, yeah, um, it's very dangerous and and um, I wouldn't do this. I would be really fair and transparent. Uh, so it's a very simple, Maxime. Just treat everybody the same. Yeah, yeah, and maybe do it over volume. You know, the more you use, then we can say, okay, you have consumed so much from our service then we can give you a, like a kickback after a certain volume. That is also explainable. So before we finish the episode, are there like any tools that you use in, in terms of pricing, tracking pricing, finding the right pricing, any tools or gadgets, resources uh, that you can recommend for people who face these issues or problems or want to dig a bit deeper? Um, well, um, Google Spreadsheet to model things and play around and share it with the stakeholders so they can play around with 
pricing thing that helped us a lot to iterate in on things. Um, surveying, you know, user testing plans, you know. We did a lot of a year ago um, when we did the new prepaid package plans. Mm -hmm. um, we did a lot of user testing. What is actually the core value they get, you know. And so we had to flip. Suddenly we realized, well, the the the, the number, uh, the, the percentage you get with the bigger package is not the the main thing and this kind of you can test um, with user testing. Um, so classic user research methodologies and tools and and then sometimes you just go out and, and, and try. Um, we don't do A-B testing things because um, we are not in the consumer business where we have millions of transactions. So um, yeah. We will definitely also link to the to the PDF that you shared yeah. with all the details about yeah. the pricing strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Rita, that was a lot of fun. Thank you so Thank much you. for the hands-on advice and uh, the storytelling from your uh, startup experience. We wish you lots of success and hopefully a lot of new recurring revenue in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, we would be thrilled to receive your rating on Apple Podcasts. That way you not only support Swisspreneur, but also help other entrepreneurs discovering the show and finding more valuable information on how to run their businesses. Next week, we will already be back with an all new episode of the Swisspreneur Show. So we hope to see you again then for a new episode.